Good evening again. Busy time of year, but you've taken the time and come tonight to sit at the Lord's table. And before we do that, before we distribute the elements tonight, I want to share a few words out of the book of Joshua, chapter 9. So turn in your Bibles to Joshua, chapter 9. Page 255, if you're using a Bible provided there for you under the seat. Father, I want to thank you for this evening. I want to thank you for the ordinance of communion, how it causes us to pause, to remember you, to remember the essential truth of the Christian faith. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And we also thank you for your word, how it clarifies, how it gives us truth, how it protects us. Bless this time tonight in your word, I pray in Jesus' in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I will never forget what happened to my friend when we were on a mission trip together several years ago. We were in uh, Budapest, Hungary, and we were in a downtown plaza, and uh, my friend had several hundred American dollars that he wanted to exchange into the local currency there. And so instead of going to a bank or a service that does that, we found a guy in the plaza that promised to exchange the money. And so he gave the guy his hundreds of dollars, and the other guy exchanged the money, counted out the bills in the local currency. All seemed great. Until a couple hours later, When he pulled out the cash, there was something he wanted to buy and discovered that he only had half of what he was supposed to receive. That slick con artist, when counting the bills, had folded them. So he counted each bill twice. Totally ripped off. We were so upset. Him more than me, of course. Have you ever been ripped off like that? You ever been scammed? Conned. Isn't that a horrible feeling? Don't you just feel dumb? You feel like, how could I have possibly let that happen? Well, tonight we read about one of the greatest con operations in the Bible. Joshua and the nation of Israel are conned by a very tricky group known as the Gibeonites. Look at the story as it begins in verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, And it came to pass, when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland, and in all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. 
But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily. Okay, so remember, Israel has invaded the promised land. They're doing extremely well. They've conquered the cities of Jericho and Ai. All of the other little nations in the promised land, all those ites, have taken notice, and they have now formed an alliance against Israel. All of those nations that used to fight each other are now in an alliance against Israel. So Israel now is no longer facing one nation at a time, but an alliance of nations. And it's a very intimidating threat, scary opposition. But at least you know what you're dealing with. In that case, at least you know who the enemy is. It's right out there in the open. You can say, look, there are the enemies. We fight them. It's much more difficult when a nation uses deception. And that's what the Gibeonites decide to do. Instead of joining the alliance of the other nations, it says in verse 4 that they worked craftily. So they're using trickery, deception. They come masquerading themselves. That's a much more difficult situation when you're dealing with that. Is this a friend or is this a foe? How do we handle this? And so the Gibeonites come up with this incredibly brilliant con, which they execute brilliantly. Let's see what they do. Again in verse 3. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. They took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. You all remember the story now? And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hevites, which was also part of the Gibeonites, Perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? So they said to him, from a very far country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord, your God. We've heard of his fame, all that he did in Egypt, all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon, king of Heshbon and Og, king of Bashan. Verse 11, therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we're your servants. Now therefore make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it's dry and moldy. 
And these wineskins which we filled were new, and see, they're torn, and these are garments, and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Okay. Gibeon dwells right in the center of the promised land. They are located right in the central highlands of the promised land. Six miles from Jerusalem. They are comprised of four cities. There's about 7,500 of them in total population. At this point, they're meeting Joshua and Israel at Gilgal. Gilgal was less than 50 miles away from Gibeon. Closer to about 25 miles separates them in the promised land. And so... Here's their con. Let's send guys to Israel. And let's have them pretend that they're ambassadors from a faraway country. And the goal is to enter into a treaty with Joshua and Israel to get them to promise that they won't kill us. Now, we know they wouldn't make a deal with neighbors in the land. God wouldn't let them. But with a far country... With a country outside of the promised land, we'll trick them into entering into a treaty. And then they'll have to stand by that treaty. This was a very well thought out con. I mean, think about what they did. First, they had to make it look like they'd been on a long journey. They had to make it look like they were from a far country. So old sacks on the donkeys, old wineskins, dry moldy bread, old shoes, old garments. And of course, they'll take these out and they'll show that as proof that they've been on a long journey. Joshua, when we left, we had hot, fresh baked bread. Now look, it's all moldy. When we left, the wineskins were brand new. Look, now they're all cracked and molded or old and mended. We had new shoes when we started. Now look. Brand new garments when we started. Now look. And they have all that in place. That's very tricky, isn't it? And then they had to have the right story. They had to be sure that they had a very good story. We're from far away. We've heard of you. We've heard of the Lord. We've heard um, what he did in Egypt. We've heard how he gave you that victory over those two kings. And they have to be very careful here because recently the nation of Israel has miraculously crossed the Jordan River and they've recently defeated Jericho and Ai. They don't mention those stories. Because that would give them away. They're supposed to be on a long journey. So look how crafty. They've thought of everything. They've thought of what to say. They've thought of what not to say. Very good con artists. By the way, there's good con artists out there. Every con artist... Tells a good story. 
And listen, the better the con artists, the more real they look and the more plausible their story. You cannot take people at face value in this world. There are deceivers out there. These guys were very, very good. And notice also that they use a bit of flattery. Did you catch that? Oh, we've heard of you guys. Yeah, we live miles away. and we've, Man, you're the new kids on the block. Our elders are so impressed. They want to be a part of what you're doing. Enter into it. We'll be your servants. Be so careful when people flatter you. Don't get trapped by con artists who flatter you. You know, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. It's been said that flattery is like perfume. Smell it, but don't swallow it. You be very careful with these deceivers that come around trying to butter you up. Notice also that they use spiritual language, don't they? They talk spiritual. Verse 9. From a very far country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame. They talk spiritual. Con artists love to do that. They're very good at the lie, they flatter, and they also know how to speak Christianese. They sound really, really good. Be very cautious. Watch out for those things. Well, the con worked. Joshua bit. What it says in verse 14, it says, Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the rulers of the congregation swore to them. They bought it. They have now entered into an irrevocable treaty with a group of people who dwell less than 25 miles from their current location. Incredible. And within three days, they find out that they're duped. They find out that they get scammed. Look at verse 16. And it happened at the end of three Days after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Those cities are listed there, verse 18. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them. By the Lord God of Israel, and all the congregation complained against the rulers. 
Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. How embarrassing. Within three days after signing that treaty, they find out that they're duped. The congregation travels up north. That would include the military. They're just scouting the land. They come across these four cities. They're enemies in the land. They're supposed to engage. And then they discover that's the Gibeonites. That's the people that they just entered into a treaty with. And the folks are all, let's go get them. And the rulers say, no, we can't. We entered into a treaty. We promised we wouldn't take their lives. In this case, Joshua knew about the oath. The rulers knew about the oath. But all the others in the nation of Israel didn't know about the oath. And here they're complained and they're upset. Hmm. Joshua speaks to these Gibeonites, verse 22. Then Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us? Saying, We are very far from you, when you dwell near us. Well, Joshua, you should have taken some more time, right? Verse 23, Now therefore you are cursed, And none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. So they honor the treaty. They honor the promise. Joshua says, you've deceived us, but we've made a promise. We promise we wouldn't take your lives. However, give me a night, you'll be cursed. You will not be free. We'll let you hang around. But you'll be slaves. You'll be woodcutters. You'll be water carriers. In other words, the people that bring the water to the tabernacle and later on the temple. The people that cut the wood that is used as fuel at the tabernacle and later in the temple for all the fires that are burning. You'll be menial slaves. You'll carry this water and you'll cut this wood. But you'll live. Verse 24, so they answered Joshua and said, because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you, therefore we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands, do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. Notice how much the Gibeonites knew. Isn't that interesting? We'd heard about what God said to Moses. How you're going to come in and you're going to destroy everyone in the land. They know that truth and they're actually acting in faith, aren't they? They're like, we're not going to join the alliance of the other ites. We need to get in good with Israel. And so, while you question their motive, or question what they did, 
Hey, man, they knew what they were doing, didn't they? And they say to Joshua, fine, we agree. We'll carry the water. We'll cut the wood. As it seems good to you, so we will do. Verse 26. So he, Joshua, did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. And that day, Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. Now, this is a very messy situation. Joshua's made a mistake. The Gibeonites have acted in deception. But do you realize that in the end, it all works out pretty good? The grace of God is upon this situation. Joshua made a mistake. But he makes the most of a bad situation. He makes a mistake. He admits it. He says, we will have the Gibeonites with us. But he worked with it. And you know, the nation of Israel would benefit from the Gibeonites. They'd be wonderful sources of help for them. In the end, it also works out great for the Gibeonites. Do you realize that the Gibeonites will remain faithful and loyal to the nation of Israel for hundreds of years? There is... No evidence in scripture that the descendants of the Gibeonites ever created any problems for the Jews at any time. And they would faithfully serve as water couriers and woodcutters. They would bless the priests and bring the wood and bring the water. In fact, in later years, the Gibeonites were called the Nethanim, which means... The given ones. Literally, those given to assist the priest. And it would seem that the Gibeonites over the years became believers in Yahweh. They forsook all of their pagan idols. The book of Ezra tells us that 500 Nethanim would return with the Jews to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. The book of Nehemiah mentions how the Gibeonites helped them to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. They were blessed. God's grace was upon them. They certainly didn't deserve it. God made the best of that situation. Joshua blew it. They blew it. But in the end, because of the grace of God, there's always hope. And those Gibeonites were saved. Even though they used such trickery. But still, Joshua and Israel got conned. It's never a good idea to get conned, amen? And 
really, in looking at this story, I can see some really great lessons on how to defend ourselves against being conned by people. Because, as I said, there are lots of con artists out there. Brother and sister in Christ, there are people out there that will try to con you out of your money, your time, your energy, in partnerships, in businesses, in matters of legality. Man, I have met a lot of con artists. I've met a lot of con artists here at this church. I've met people who claim to be seekers when in actuality they're sneakers. Sneaking, pretending to be something, ulterior motives, not good. So we absolutely have to protect ourselves against con artists. And I see three very important lessons looking back at this story, sort of playing Monday morning quarterback, right? How should you have handled the situation? Listen, number one. Trust your initial suspicion. Trust your initial suspicion. If you meet someone, if you're faced with a situation and you have a gut check, you have a bad feeling about it, you pay attention. Don't ignore that. You know, when those Gibeonites first came, looking like the ambassadors... There was initial suspicion. Did you catch that? In fact, look back there at verse 7. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us. How can we make a covenant with you? Joshua said, Who are you? And where do you come from? Do you see? That was initial suspicion. That was a, wait a minute. Listen, if you get that in your interactions with people, don't ignore that. Don't ignore that. Number two, patiently investigate the matter. Fully vet the situation. And you should do that with every situation. But especially if you get a red flag. All they had to do was wait how many days? Three days. Three days. A three day wait. Don't ever rush into something. Investigate it. Be patient. Ask questions. Make phone calls. Do your vetting. Joshua and Israel should have truly investigated this story a whole lot more. They should have asked more questions. Who's your king? What country? Where are you located? Don't you think? And also, I mean, those old items. Come on. The old moldy bread. 
the old sneakers. Okay, the very items that they were using to prove that they are on this far journey, if you think about it, sounded really fishy. Really fishy. Especially if they came from a great far away country. Wearsby writes this about this group. He says, if this group of men had been an authentic official delegation, it would have comprised a much larger company bearing adequate supplies, including sufficient provisions for the trip home. Real ambassadors would have thrown away their dry and moldy bread because their servants would have baked fresh bread for them daily. As officials, they would have packed the proper attire so that they might make the best impression possible as they negotiated with the enemy. Had Joshua and his leaders paused to think about what they were seeing, they wouldn't have gotten tricked. Listen. Think. If you have that suspicion, don't ignore it and investigate the matter fully. And then number three, the best way to avoid being duped, ask the Lord about it. Seek the Lord. And that's the most important thing to do. That was Joshua's biggest mistake, wasn't it? Look what it says in verse 14. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not what? They did not ask counsel of the Lord. Literally, they did not seek an audience with God concerning the matter. Gang, they didn't pray about it. They didn't fast about it. They didn't ask the priests about it. And remember in those days, the priests had these two stones on their breastplate, the Urim and the Thummim, which they used to reveal God's will. Joshua could have come to the priest and said, is it God's will for us to enter into a treaty with the Gibeonites? They didn't. They took the scientific approach rather than the spiritual approach. They took the business model approach rather than the spiritual approach. They didn't seek the Lord. Christian, seek the Lord on every matter. When you face decisions in business, financially, with partnerships with legal matters, with people that you're meeting, with opportunities that come your way. Seek the Lord about those things. No matter how clear it might look to you logically, always, always, Run things by the Lord. Always. One commentator writes, No proposed course of conduct 
can be so clear to a Christian as to excuse him from the duty of seeking direction from above. Run everything by the Lord. He's there for you. Never forget Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Never forget that. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Listen, God gives his people wisdom. God is our greatest resource. Don't run out there as a Christian making all of these decisions on your own. Pray about every matter. Investigate the scripture. On every matter. Get advice from brothers and sisters in Christ that you respect. Always. They're out there. We need to be careful. Now, I want you to think about something for just a moment. The Gibeonites were very crafty people. Human beings can be crafty, can't they? I mean, think about how deceptive human beings can be. How much more crafty then? Satan is. Our spiritual enemy. He is called the father of lies. Scripture says that he can masquerade as an angel of light. Satan can come as your friend. Satan is the master deceiver. And by the way, he's had thousands of years practicing upon the human race. And he wants to deceive people. And so if we need to be prepared for human deceivers, think about how much more prepared we need to be for the deception of the enemy. And I'll tell you, Satan wants to see to deceive people in two primary ways. His first target is the non-believer. Satan doesn't want non-believers to become believers. And so he does everything to get people distracted away from the gospel message. Don't let this person hear the gospel. Don't let this person respond to the gospel message. Satan will do whatever it takes to keep people blinded from the gospel message. You know, I always laugh this time of year, the Christmas season. What's the point of Christmas? To worship Christ. To celebrate the birth of Jesus. What's the enemy done? Trying to get people to worship 
Santa and flying reindeer and elves and stirring up society, putting people into a frenzy of shopping and activity and everything to distract. Look what the enemy did to Easter. What's the purpose of Easter, folks? To worship Christ, the resurrected Christ. And the enemy's put out there this whole idea about bunnies and eggs and big hats. I mean, think about that. How Satan works so hard to deceive people. And then listen. When you become a Christian, when you say yes to Christ and you, you, you understand the gospel, you understand that Satan still wants to deceive you. Now he wants to neutralize you. Now he wants to neutralize your effectiveness as a Christian witness. He, he does just what we see the giving us. Hey, come make a compromise. Come sign a treaty. Let me turn you into a worldly Christian. Shake hands with the world. Satan would do everything he can to get Christians off track. Distracted. Off on, you know, rabbit paths, bunny paths. Anything to to keep a Christian from growing stronger and healthier. So we have to be prepared for that too. Even more so. And then I think those three lessons apply spiritually too. Listen, Christian, trust your first reaction. Only understand this. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life. And he's a discerning spirit. And there are going to be times... When you hear something, you encounter something, and it's the Holy Spirit who's going to set an alarm off. Hear it. Don't ignore it. So somebody comes with a brand new teaching. You hear about some teaching on TV, some teaching on the radio, and you're listening. And then all of a sudden, hmm. That doesn't sound right. Well, then you better investigate that. That could be the Holy Spirit protecting you. And then how do you go investigate that? Well, you go hunt those truths down in the Word. Find out if what that teacher's saying is found in the Word of God. And always, always, always our best defense as Christians to keep from being deceived from people or the enemy is to be seeking the Lord regularly on a daily basis. Praying regularly, growing in your relationship with Christ. Studying his word daily. Don't ever leave those Christian disciplines aside. They're so necessary. They keep you strong. They keep you equipped. They keep you ready. 
Do these things. Don't be duped. Don't be conned. You know, one of the enemy's most effective ways to deceive people is to take away hope from people. The enemy loves to tell people that, all right, it's through. It's all done. There are a lot of people who are about to become Christians. They understand the gospel. They think, man, I could become a Christian. But then the enemy says, God wouldn't take you. You've been so bad. How could you possibly be forgiven? How do you possibly think you could become a Christian? Give up on that. And, and, and the enemy does that kind of number on Christians as well. You know, when a Christian blows it, when a Christian makes a mistake, and Christians do make mistakes. But a lot of times when a Christian mis- makes a mistake, it, the enemy is the first to come along and whisper and see, oh, what a creep you are. Look, you've blown it. God could never use you again. You're on the sideline. Those are lies from the pits of hell. Don't buy those lies. There's always hope. And our hope comes from what we remember tonight at the communion table. Jesus came. He was born into this world. For the sole reason of being our Savior. For the sole purpose of becoming Savior. He came and he died on the cross for the sins of the world. Our sins were placed upon him. The blood of Christ washes away all sin. If you're here tonight and you think, I've been so bad, I can't be saved. Listen, the blood of Christ is way more powerful than any horrendous sin you've ever committed. His blood will wash away that sin. You come tonight. If you haven't received Jesus, you come tonight. You receive him tonight. Maybe you're a Christian here and and you think you've blown it. Man, you haven't done so good lately. We'll come back. Confess your sin. Repent. The blood of Christ washes away all sin. Fellowship can be restored. God isn't through with you. God can use you. He's a God of grace. Look how he treated the Gibeonites. And look at the grace of God even upon Joshua. trust him let's bow our heads let's turn the lights down let's have the guys come on up who are going to help me distribute
The Bible says that at the communion table, we should examine ourselves. This is a very important time. We examine ourselves spiritually. And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, examine yourself. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never received Christ. There's always been something that's holding you back. The enemy has been deceiving you. He's very crafty. Very slick. The truth is that we are all born as sinners. And we have to have our sins forgiven. And Jesus is your Savior. He died for you and he rose again the third day. And if you place your faith in him, if you ask him to wash away your sins, he'll do so. And he'll do so right now. Open your heart to him if that's you tonight. Before we partake of these elements, Say this prayer with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I receive you right now as my Savior. Wash away all my sins. Thank you for dying for me. I receive you. Fill me with your Spirit. Give me a brand new fresh start. Make me born again. Make me a new creation. My friend, if you just prayed that prayer, you have become born again. You become a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. And now we partake of these elements as believers Remembering what Christ has done. If you're here tonight as a Christian, you need to return to the Lord. You've been deceived lately. You've bought the lie that you're finished. There's no more hope for you. God can't use you. Say no to that tonight. You come back to him tonight. Come clean. You pray with me right now if that's you. Say, Lord, I want to come back to you tonight. Forgive me for how I've gone astray. I come back to you tonight willingly. Receive me back. Restore me. Take my life and use my life again for your glory.
We're going to distribute these elements now, and I, I would ask you to just remain seated in a time of prayer and worship and reverence. And uh, this is also a time of thanksgiving. Thank the Lord for what he did for you, for his sacrifice. Praise him. Worship him. Resurrender your life to him. Recommit your life to him. We'll pass out the elements, and we'll all partake together as a body. Thank you for this time tonight where we rest in your sanctuary. And we pause from busy lives to remember that you have done all that is necessary for us to be saved, for us to have lives that are completely changed. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And for rising again. And Lord, we desire tonight as your people to surrender our lives afresh to you. To serve you in the way we live our lives. Keep us protected, Lord. Keep us on the right path. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take this together to remember. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand. If you prayed to receive Christ tonight, we're going to be available for you up here at the front. Come forward and share that you prayed that prayer. We'd like to talk with you more about your uh, walk with Christ. If you need prayer for any reason, we're going to be available to pray with you and for you. Father, as we go forth now, we go forth in your spirit, greatly refreshed in being at your table. Priorities straight. Lord, with a joy in our, in our hearts about who you are and what you've done for us. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this one last song together.